All right. If you got your Bible, we're going to start in Revelation. Book of Revelation. I encourage you to open up your Bible and turn to the book of Revelation. You're going to get a blessing this morning. Or you can hear you saying, how are you guaranteeing me a blessing? Well, you're not getting a blessing because you're listening to me. I promise you that. You're not getting a blessing because you're in here at Indian Gap Baptist Church. That's not where the blessing's coming from. I'm about to show you. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. I'll show you why you're going to get a blessing. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with the church. It's nothing to do with anything but this reason right here. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Look at verse 1, get the context. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants, that's me and you who believe in Jesus Christ, things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. That's the same one that wrote the Gospel of John. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Now let me stop there before we keep going. Now what is the testimony of Jesus Christ? Anybody know? What does the Bible say is the testimony of Jesus Christ? Revelation chapter 19 tells you. Revelation chapter 19 tells you. I'll, I'll read it to you. Revelation chapter 19 verse 10 tells you. What's the testimony of Jesus Christ? Hey, don't take my word for it. Don't, don't get an opinion of what you think the testimony of Jesus Christ is. Look it up. Study it. I'm not being mean to you. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm, be, I'm, I'm stressing to you the importance of the word of God and not a, a preacher's opinion or your own opinion. When the Bible says there's a testimony of Jesus Christ, you have to ask yourself, well, what is that testimony? The Bible tells you, Revelation 19.10, And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not. John fell down at the feet of this, of this brother, and he said, Don't worship me. I am thy fellow servant and thy brethren that, that have the testimony of Jesus. What is the testimony of Jesus? Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Amen. What's Jesus Christ's greatest testimony? It's that he prophesies and it comes to pass. Amen. Right there, number one. Number one, that separates him out from all these other fakers. I challenge you. Go and look at all these other religious leaders. All these other gods, lowercase g. Go look them up. Find out. Do they tell you what's going to happen before it happens? God says in Isaiah, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen before it happens. That way you'll know that I am the Lord God. No doubt about it. What's the, spirit of, uh, what's the testimony of Jesus Christ? The spirit of prophecy. He's known to tell you what's going to happen before it happens. Pretty amazing when you look at the book of Matthew chapter 24 and you see Jesus Christ when he's asked about what's the end of the world going to be like and he starts describing everything that you're seeing on national TV. Amen. It's amazing. Down to the earthquakes in diverse places. Why am I going to get a blessing this morning, Pastor? That was how you started this out. Yeah, I know I'm going, I'm going. I'm going to tell you. Look at verse 3. 
Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed, this is why you're going to get blessed this morning. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time, the time is at hand. You're going to get a blessing this morning because you know what? We're going to, I'm going to do this sermon, try to preach this sermon out of the book of Revelation. So you're already guaranteed to get a blessing. Now, this is the only book of your Bible that promises you a blessing if you read it or hear it being read. The only one. The only book of the Bible that does that. Now, I've had people come up to me, I mean, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that know Jesus Christ come to me and they said, I'm afraid to read Revelation. Why are you afraid? Don't be afraid. To read, well, I don't understand it. It scares me. Don't let it scare you. What should scare you is how you act. What should make you afraid is the things that you do. That should make you afraid. The book of Revelation should not make you afraid. The book of Revelation is a blessing. Read it. If you're not going to read any, if you say, I don't want to read my Bible, I don't care about reading your Bible, fine. That's between, that's between you and the Lord. But I promise you, if you're going to pick one thing to read, read the book of Revelation. Amen. And when you get through it, start over. Go through it. You'll be amazed what you'll see in this book of Revelation. It's, it looks like you're watching TV right now. Revelation 3.1 promises you you're going to get a blessing this morning. And praise the Lord, I know you will. Because we're going to focus on this one man named Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your love and grace and mercy. Father, I thank you for your words. That even though they were written down thousands of years ago, Lord God, they still ring true today to a man, a woman that's sitting in a seat this morning, Lord God. That they can take these words and know that they're true. And Lord, as you prophesy, if you show us what's to come to pass, Lord God, as these things are coming to pass, Lord God, that we return to you and see you are the true Jehovah God. And your son is the son of God and we need him to save us from our sins. And Lord, I pray and thank you, Father, for your blessings on this church on this people, Lord. And I do pray, Lord God, not only a blessing, Lord God, because they're hearing and reading this word with us in Revelation, Lord God, but just pray that you bless them, Lord God, that they're in here, Lord God. I pray a special blessing to anybody that's watching or listening, Lord God. And Father, I pray just a blessing on them, Lord God. And Father, no matter if they're my enemy, if they hate my guts, Lord God, I pray that, Lord, you'd bless them. And Father, be, be, be good to them, Lord God, because you're a good God. And I know you're good to me when I don't deserve it. And I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn to Revelation 4. Revelation chapter 4. Here we go. I'm going to show you. Now, if you haven't read the book of Revelation, it's set up like this. Revelation 1, John is there. He sees Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ tells him, I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this. Jesus Christ tells John, hey, I'm here. I'm going to tell you what's going to come to pass. I want you to write down all this stuff. Now write it down in a book. That's what you got in your lap. The second thing Jesus Christ tells John is, he says, I want you to write a letter. And I want you to write a letter to these seven churches that are scattered all over the known world and write this letter, and I want you to send this letter to them. And this letter is what you're reading. And these let this letter was kind of, and these letters he would write to Ephesus, and he would tell Ephesus, you're doing good, but you're not doing good enough. He'd write to Philadelphia and say, you're doing really good, keep on hanging in. He wrote to the church of Laodicea, and he said, you're sorry, you're no good, you think you're rich, you think you're wonderful, and you're blind, and you're naked, and you need to fall back in love with me. So every church had problems with it. Every church, 
Some churches were worse off than other churches. But what you do when you study that in Revelation 1 all the way up through Revelation chapter 3 is you realize these are different church periods in history. And they relate directly to Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Thyatira. All these relate to church history and it just lines up perfectly. This Bible is an amazing book. And it lines up perfectly till the, you get to the end and the last church that Christ writes to is the church of Laodicea, which would be the church period that me and you are living in. And that's a church period that Jesus Christ doesn't say anything good about. He says, you're lukewarm. I want to I take you and spew you out of my mouth. Boy, nothing good. That's this church. These churches. The churches we're living in. The churches you see in America. That's the church Christ is talking about. But right after that in Revelation 4, Here's what happens, verse 1. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And after this, John says, after this, after these letters he wrote, after this, I looked up and behold, a door was opened up in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as, as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I'll show thee things which must be hereafter. Amen. This is, my friends, the rapture. You hear people talk about the rapture. You hear pastors and preachers preach about the rapture. This is a type of the rapture that's found in 1 Thessalonians 4 where the church is called out before the tribulation period. Now, if you study the book of Revelation, from here on out, the church is found right here. And from chapter 6 to chapter 18, no more church is not mentioned. When is the church mentioned again? When Jesus Christ comes back after the wedding and brings the church back with him to rule and reign on this earth. So from chapter 6 to verse 18, chapter 18, there's no church. It's all about the tribulation period. The great tribulation period is about to break out. The Antichrist, the mark of the beast, all these things you've heard about all your life. That's what's about to happen here. And John is raptured out, just like the church is going to be raptured out. Notice it's a door. It's not a stairway. So when Led Zeppelin gets on and starts singing about the stairway to heaven, it's a lie. There's no stairway to heaven. It's a door. Amen. Well, what do you mean it's a door? Jesus Christ said, I am the door. Amen. No man can go in but by me. Amen. That door is Jesus Christ. It's not a stairway. It's not steps. You're not working your way to heaven. You're, not, you're either going in or you're going out. And there's only one man that has control of that. That's Jesus Christ. Because he stood up and says, I'm the door. Any man tries to go in any other way is a thief and a robber. That's what Jesus said. He lays it out straight to you exactly what you need to know. That's in John chapter 10. Read your Bible, John chapter 10. So it's a door, not a stairway, not steps. It's a door. You've got to be invited. You've got to get in. John is invited. He's brought in. Come up hither. Here we go. He goes up into heaven, verse 2, and immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. John gets up into heaven, and the third, we call it the third heaven. The Bible calls it the third heaven. He gets up in the third heaven, he gets up into heaven, and he sees this great throne up there. And it describes it in verse 3. And he that, sat on, he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, and sat like unto an emerald. So he gets up there and he sees a jasper. That's a yellowish, yellow-reddish type of stone. And a sardine stone is kind of a dark, deep red stone. So you've got these dark, deep reds and some browns. And then you've got this green, this emerald green, emerald green rainbow. 
That rainbow belongs to God. It doesn't belong to any other organization on earth or controlled by man. God, God owns that rainbow. It belongs to him. You need to kind of keep your hands off of it. That's my advice to you. But you just do what you want to do because we're all going to have to answer to God. And there he is, and he's using it as his symbol. Verse 4. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting. And who are those four and twenty elders? Well, we assume that twelve of them are the, are the disciples or the apostles. That would include Paul, because Judas was not a disciple. He fell. Paul takes his place. The other twelve are the patriarchs. Maybe Noah, Abraham, Jacob. We don't know. But there's twenty-four of them, and they're all sitting around this throne, and they're sitting on these seats, and they're clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Crowns of gold, that implies that they've already been through the judgment seat of Christ. They've already been judged. They've got their crowns. Everybody's going to get a crown that deserves a crown. This isn't T-ball. If you don't deserve a crown, you don't get a crown. T-ball, you go to play T-ball nowadays, everybody gets a trophy, participation trophy. It don't work that way in God's eyes. <laughs> some of us are going to get crowns. Some of us will get bigger crowns. Some of us will get just a little about the size of my ring, my, my <laughs> My wedding ring, about that size right there. You can put it, I guess, put it on the tip of your nose or something like that. But you're going to get a crown, you know. We're all striving for a crown. Not for salvation, but because we love him. Amen. And you're about to see why you need that crown. You're about to see it, okay. Verse 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Oh, this is a scary place. You're going to get up there and there's going to be lightnings and thunderings. Loud. Man, can you imagine? Boom, boom. It's not a quiet place to be up there. It's power. Amen. The power of the Almighty God is being shown out to John as he stands and he's in awe and astonished as the power of God is being shown to him and brilliant as a rainbow around. He's like, my God, look at this. He's seeing the 24 elders in the car and he's seeing this marvelous sight. It's It's amazing. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Which implies the judgment seat of Christ as the works of every believer is put through the fire and see what comes on the other side. There's that fire. The seven spirits that God, God tells us in uh, Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 that there's seven manifestations of the spirit. Uh, knowledge and wisdom and the fear of the Lord and might. There's all kinds of man, but there, that's the seven spirits. It's, the Holy Spirit is one, but he manifests himself out in seven different ways. Verse 6. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. Oh, beautiful. Can you imagine John up there in the thunderings and the lightnings and the shadows and you see the, you see the crystal. It's like a frozen deep as he stands on this crystal and it's, it's slide. And it's... it's and the lightning and the thundering and the noise. And the, here's these 24 elders with the crowns. And then he looks and he sees the fire. And he sees the fire leaping up. And he's like, what an amazing sight. But then, look, verse 6. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal in the midst of the throne. And round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And he sees something he's never seen before. He sees these four creatures, these four beasts with eyes all around them. And verse 7, it describes them. He says, and the first beast was like a lion. And the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had the face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. 
Now, if you read through your Bible in Ezekiel chapter 1, when Ezekiel sees God's throne come before him, in Ezekiel chapter 1, he has those four cherubim with him, and they have four faces. And the four faces is... Each one of them had four faces, and they would turn. These four faces would turn. I'm here to tell you the Bible's a weird book. I'm not trying to tell you I understand everything about it. And neither does anybody else. But that face that Ezekiel seen on that cherubim had the face of a lion, the face of a calf, of an ox, the face of a man, and the face of a flying eagle. So John sees these four beasts, and as he sees these four beasts, he's seeing these four beasts move, and what he, he sees what they look like, and he sees a lion, a calf, a man, and a flying eagle. That right there are the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm telling you, when you study this Bible, you can't study it enough. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, is manifested out and represented in these four creatures. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus Christ, first and foremost, is a king, a lion. The book of Matthew is a book about a king. The king of kings, the king of the Jews, Jesus Christ. And when you go and look at the book of Matthew and you look at the genealogy of Matthew, what you find out, that genealogy of Matthew, it traces Jesus Christ's genealogy all the way back to show you that he deserves and has a right to sit on his father David's throne. Amen. And then you turn over and go, you go over to the book of Mark. That's a book of a servant. That's a book of an ox. The king of the servant animals. The ox, the calf. Jesus Christ says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And you turn over to the book of Mark and say, Jesus Christ, he's a servant of servants. And you look at the genealogy and you, you start in chapter 1 and you read and you read and you read. And there is no genealogy in the book of Mark of Jesus Christ. He just shows up. A servant has no genealogy. A slave has no genealogy. And then you go and you turn over to the book of Luke and there it is, the Son of Man. The Son of Man. The Son of Man. Jesus Christ is the Son of Man. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save those which are lost. The Son of Man. The Son of Man. So you go and you look in the first of Luke and you say, what's the genealogy in the Gospel of Luke? And you look in the genealogy of the Gospel of Luke and it takes Jesus Christ and it traces him all the way back to David, but it doesn't stop there at the kingdom. It keeps tracing Jesus Christ's genealogy all the way back to Adam, the Son of God. Amen. That's the Son of Man. So then you get excited. You say, okay, there's Mark. There's Matthew. There's Mark. There's Luke. Let's go. And you flip through and you go to the Gospel of John. You say, okay, there's the flying eagle. The flying eagle represents the deity of God. Amen. God says, I'll take you like a, and, and lift you up on eagle's wings and carry you. I'm God. Amen. And I'll carry you like an eagle. That's the deity of God. Amen. So you go and you say, the Gospel of John. Oh, the Gospel of John. If there's anything the Gospel of John does, it shows you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. God manifests in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Amen. There's the genealogy of the Son of God. Amen. Right there. So John, as he looks, he sees this manifestation of these creatures. And what they tell you is... Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
You're starting to find out the truth about this Bible. From the beginning to the back, it's about Jesus. And he sees that in verse 8, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. They were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night. What are they saying? Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Amen. Woo! What I like to know, I want to point out to you, I want you to see this morning is that when those, when you get up into heaven, they're not saying love, love, love. Night and day. They're not saying peace, 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 night and day. When you get up in the presence of God and his habitation around his throne, you're going to be told it's holy, holy, holy. And you're not. And when you're an unholy sinner sitting in this church and you know you're a sinner, you say, I don't want to be around a holy God. I'm a sinner. When the holiness of Jesus Christ came into Peter and, was, and Peter seen the holiness of Jesus Christ, Peter hit his knees and says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Get away from me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus Christ lifting him up, that's who I am. I'm a friend to sinners. God is holy if He's anything. Night and day, God says, I want you to say that I'm holy, holy, holy. It's about God's holiness. When God tells Him, I want you to build a tabernacle for me, and I want you to sacrifice things to me, and I want you to have a man, and I want this man to, to be clothed a certain way. And when he's washed, and he's cleaned, and he's clothed a certain way, I want you to take a golden tablet, and I want you to take that, and I want you to take that signet, and I want you to press it really thin, and I want you to put it right on his forehead, and I want you to write these words on it. And Moses said, God, what do you want me to write on it? And God said, I want you to write holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. It's about God's holiness. And it's about us not being holy. Why am I not holy? Because of Adam and Eve. That's it. Period. They sinned. They pass it on. They pass it on. They pass it on. And now it's on to you. And now you're a sinner damned and doomed to hell too. Well, how did Jesus Christ get by with it? Because he was not born of a man he was born of a virgin. He has not, he has his father's blood. He said, well, I thought he, didn't, he was born of a virgin. He's got God's blood. Amen. That's why it's so important he was born of a virgin. Amen. This stuff all makes sense. But you've got to read it. Holy, holy, holy Lord, the Lord God. God Jesus Almighty, the Holy Trinity, the Lord God Almighty. Which was and is, and Jesus Christ is to come. Amen. Night and day. That's what's said by these beasts. Verse 9, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne. That's why you need a crown. Amen. That's why you need a crown. You got to give it back. Amen. You got to give it back. I want to give it back. 
verse 11. Here's the most important verse for you this morning. If you hear me say anything this morning, I want you to hear me read this verse right here. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. The greatest truth that man does not get, the world does not get, lost man does not get is this. God, first and foremost, above all else, is your creator. Amen. He created you. I don't like the way God does this. I don't like the way God does that. Well, let me just be honest with you. I don't always like the way God does things either. God does things that I question. And when I get to heaven, he'll straighten me out and tell me why he did them. But I mean, I'm being honest with you. But the honest truth is, he's God. Amen. And what God does as creator, he holds my very breath. Yes. You know, I recognize God as God to the point that if he wanted to right now, he could come, reach down and say, I'm tired of that boy. And, uh, touch me on the heart. And I'm gone. Amen. I'm gone. He can say, I don't like you, take my breath, and you're gone. He's your creator. And I don't care if you like how he does things, or you think he should have done things different, or it doesn't matter what your opinion is. His opinion is the only one that counts. He's the creator. And you need to understand that. And the second thing you need to understand is the Lord God is your creator, and secondly, you're created for him. Amen. His pleasure. You say, well, why do I have to please him? Because he's your creator. Amen. He has that right. He has that right to demand of you pleasure. You're created to make him happy. That's your job. Your job is to please him. And sometimes it pleases him to do stuff to you that you don't want to do. You know what the Bible says about Jesus Christ and God? The Bible says God was pleased to bruise him. God was pleased to crucify Jesus Christ. Now, do you think Jesus Christ found that a pleasure? Jesus Christ got down in the garden and said he was sweating, and he was praying so hard that the sweat was looking like blood. It was coming down red. It was stress. It's a, it's a medical condition that's caused by great stress. The blood drops, the sweats of blood, the sweats of drops of sweat was coming down. It was so red, it was like... He was stressed to no end. And he said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. Jesus Christ knew exactly what's about to take place. One of the worst executions a man could go through. Amen. Not counting he was going to be spit on, mocked, beat, whipped, have a crown just like this put on his head. And God says, that pleases me. It pleases me to see him beat. It pleases me to see him whipped. It pleases me to see him spit on. It pleases me to see him put on a cross and nailed and bled, bleed to death. That pleases me. Now anybody on the outside that doesn't know God say, that's a cruel God. That's a mean God. That makes no sense. God knows unless you go, these others don't get to go either. It pleased God because he wanted to bring us in. God's plan is, and once you do that, these others get in, 
and I'm going to resurrect you. And because you're willing to get down and do what I want you to do, I'm going to give you a kingdom. And I'm going to make you a ruler. And you're not only going to be a king, you're going to be king of kings. But see, on the first, you're looking at it and you said, that's a cruel God. I'm here to tell you what looks like cruel on one side of the fence, on this side of the fence as a saved sinner, that's all love. Amen. Wow, that's all love. Amen. To give his only son for a sinner like me. Amen. It pleases God. I don't know what you're going through. I can't tell what you're going through. Only God and you know what you're going through, but you know what? It's for his pleasure. Chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book. Here we go. Written within and on backside, sealed with seven seals. There's the seven seal book you hear people talking about. And John looks up and he sees in, the, in this image of God on the throne, he sees this right hand and he sees a book and it's sealed seven seals around it. Nobody can get into it. And God's got it. Verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book? That's a good question. And to loose the seals thereof. So the angel starts saying, Hey, anybody worthy over here? Anybody worthy over there? Hey, who's worthy to open this book? Verse 3, And no man, underline it, No one, no man in heaven, nor in earth, nor under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. No one's worthy. Not you, not you, not me, nobody on the internet. Nobody's worthy to open this book. They've looked. Nobody's worthy. And it, there it sits. And the question is, Who's worthy? Amen. Verse 4. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. This is a book that needs to be opened. We need to look at this thing. No one's worthy. Verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Hey, <laughs> weep not. This is when it gets good. <laughs> this is when it gets really, really good, guys. This is when the guy rides in on the white horse. You know when you're watching a movie and it's really going really bad and you're watching the movie and the bad guys are winning, you're like, man, how, how's he going to get out of this? How's it ever going? No, they're never going to get out of this. And dun, 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 here comes the hero. I was up there at Avengers Endgame. I was up there at that movie, being a sinner. A movie about comic book heroes. I was in there. I was in there. I was in there. I was one of the first ones to see it by accident. I thought I was going to a regular show and turned out I was going to the premiere. I'm like, why is everybody waiting in line? There wasn't a, there wasn't a seat to be found. I'm the only, me and my wife are in there. I was like, oh my goodness gracious. All these people, they're all in there just chattering. And then the movie starts rolling. Just, it's quiet. Then here comes all the heroes, and here comes the bad guy. He's the bad guy, Thanos. You know what Thanos means in Greek? Death. And death is running, and he's doing all this, and he's destroying him. And look, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. 
And at the very end of the movie, one of the heroes stands up. And I'm telling you, the hair on my back and my neck stood up. Everybody in, that, everybody in that theater jumped up and started screaming and hollering and clapping. <laughs> the good guys are going to win. Time's out by a million right here. Amen. You're hopeless. You feel like your life is hopeless. Feel like you have nothing to live for. Feel like you're doomed and damned. Feel like you can't stand before a holy God. Feel like you're not worthy. You're all of those things. But there's somebody that is. You're broken hearted. Things are broken. You, you're broken hearted about life. Broken hearted about finances. Broken hearted about a marriage. Broken hearted about your life. Just broken hearted about this world. Weep not. Verse 5. And one of the elders said unto him, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Woo! You know what the elder just said? Nobody likes? Nobody likes this. The elder just said, Hey, don't worry about it. Here's a Jew. <laughs> here's, the, here's the Jew. You know what the Bible says about this Jew? He was nothing to look at. You know, when they have Jesus Christ and they put him on a movie, they put him on TV, they always try to make Jesus, they get a good-looking actor. They always get, I, I appreciate that. I don't want to look at some ugly guy, you know. They always get the best-looking guy they can find, but the Bible says he was a common man. He was nothing to look at. He wasn't beautiful. Jesus Christ was about, I hope he wasn't as ugly as me, but he was, you know, the point is, he's just a normal looking, he's a Jew. Amen. He's of the line of the tribe of what? Judah. Yes. Judiah. Jew. Yes. He's a Jew. He's the son of God, but he's the son of man. Amen. The world don't like that. The world hates Jews. Everybody hates everybody nowadays, Amen. Every race hates every race, but all the races can get together and they can all point their long pony fingers at one race and say, we all, we all don't like each other, but we for sure don't like that one, that Jew right there. It's all his fault. Amen. And up in heaven, here comes the Jew. Amen. One Jew, though. Amen. And he's worthy. Amen. He's prevailed. And I beheld, verse 6, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Amen. So John up in heaven, he sees this elder and he says, hey, don't stop crying, don't worry about it. There's a line of the tribe of Judah. There's that king. He's a Jew. And all about that time, he sees a lamb appear out of the throne. God starts manifesting out of the throne and he starts manifesting out like a lamb that's slain, that's been killed. Amen. That's Jesus Christ on the cross. He's the lamb of God Amen. come to take the sins of the world. Slain, slain as it had been slain. It's not a lamb just walking up. It's a lamb that's been killed. Amen. That's the image God wants to present to you of Jesus Christ this morning. A sacrificial lamb already slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. you got a lamb with seven horns. Those horns in Scripture represent power. Seven represents completion. He has complete power. 
Seven eyes. Eyes of the all-knowing. It's seven completion. He has, he's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-spirit-filled. The seven spirits of God. Amen. He's everything. He's complete. He's all-knowing. It's the man that I keep preaching about named Jesus Christ. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. It looks hopeless, and here he comes. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints, sweet-smelling. Here they are with their harps. They're about to start singing. What song are they going to sing now that Jesus Christ has come out as a lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, slain comes and takes the book, what are they going to start singing about? Look at verse 9. And they sung a new song. Saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Wow. They drop down on their knees and they say, He's worthy because He redeemed us. Every lost man and woman, every lost man, woman, and child, every lost person in the world needs to be redeemed. You're unholy, you've been sold into sin, you're doomed and damned to a devil's hell. And the reason why I say a devil's hell because the Bible tells us that the hell was never meant for us. It was meant for the devil and his angels. Amen. But because of sin, we have to go. Why do we have to go? Why can't we be with God? Because it won't be holy if you're up there. Amen. Your sin will make it unholy. You can't let me up into heaven in the condition I'm in. I'll ruin heaven. I've got to be cleansed. I've got to be washed. I've got to be redeemed. I've got to get a new body. I've got to get rid of this sinful body that has Adam's blood running through it, that's got sin in it. I've got to get rid of this body. It's going to go in the grave, and I've got to get a new body likened unto his. Amen. That's what I've got to get. So I won't mess it up. And has redeemed us to God. How did he redeem us to God? By the blood. Amen. Notice. Guys, sometimes it's what the Bible doesn't say. Notice it didn't say, by baptism. By our own works. By sacraments. By going to church. By feeding the poor. We're redeemed to God by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And that's all it's about. Amen. Why is Jesus Christ so worthy? He's worthy because He redeemed us. Amen. He's worthy because He died for us. Now you're getting to see the crux of the situation. When you start lining up all the other religious leaders through history, when you start lining up Muhammad and Buddha and different religions of the world and different ways of trying to get to God, when you start lining them up, it just doesn't add up. Because the Bible says there's nobody worthy to open that book. No one. 
What makes Jesus Christ so special? Because He's worthy, because He died and shed His blood on the cross of Calvary for me and you. And redeemed us. That's what makes Him worthy. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, Pastor. I don't like your religion. I'm going to go my own way. Go your own way. I don't think Jesus Christ is for me because I'm, I'm a black man. Or I'm a Hispanic. Or I'm Oriental. And I'm not a Jew. Well, I'm not a Jew either. I'm a Gentile just like you. But Jesus Christ didn't die just for the Jew. Jesus Christ didn't die just for the white man. Jesus Christ died for every man. Every race, every nation. You don't believe me? Read your Bible. Very same verse, end of that verse. And hath redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred. I don't care what kindred you are. Out of every tongue. I don't care what language you speak. And of people and nation. I don't care if you're a black man living over in China. God died for you. Jesus Christ died for your sins. You can be redeemed by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're a Hispanic and you're living over in Japan, God, Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, died for your sins. This isn't a race thing. This isn't a black and white thing. This is getting into heaven thing. And I'm all about getting into heaven. I'm all about seeing other people get into heaven. I'm, all, I'm not about what's going to happen in the end when God starts judging people. And they don't have the precious blood of Jesus Christ on them. I'm not about that. I'm not about sitting at the judgment of God and seeing a, a man or a woman stand before God in their own sin and try to answer. And they have no answer. And I'm sitting behind God watching all this take place. Weeping. Because maybe that's one of them I told. Maybe it's one of them I said, hey, Jesus Christ is the way. And I said, no, nah, I just don't think it. They've been warned. Amen. Go look. If God's gave you some time, and I don't promise you any time past today, go look and examine it. Go examine Muhammad. See what Muhammad did for somebody. What you'll find out, Muhammad wanted people to do something for him. Buddha, Buddha wanted people to look up at him. Jesus Christ was all about you. Amen. Dying for you. Amen. Healing you up. Taking care of your problems. Forgiving the sinner. That's what Jesus Christ was about. Amen. Night and day, the beasts proclaim, Holy, holy, holy. And up in heaven, you're going to have all the Christians Worthy, worthy, worthy. Amen. The Lord God Almighty. Amen. And has made unto us our God, unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. That's a promise to every Christian. Here we go. He's made you a king and a priest. We're going to reign when Jesus Christ comes back. Verse 11, here's some great thing that takes place in closing. I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne of the beasts of the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. That's 100 million. 
and thousands of thousands. So John's trying to describe how many people, how many angels, how many people are up there. And he says, man, there's ten times, and ten, there's a hundred million plus thousands. You can't number them. What are they doing up there? They're saying with a loud voice. <laughs> if you like things to be quiet, you're not going to like heaven much. Because every time I read about heaven, you know what I found about heaven? There's a lot of shouting going on. A lot of hollering. They're not whispering. Worthy. Worthy, 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 worthy. With a loud voice. Saying with a loud voice, not a whisper. Worthy is a lamb that was slain. What's he worthy? To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and on and on and on. He's worthy. To receive all that stuff you have, he's worthy. You know what Jesus Christ is worthy of? Getting up in the morning and going to church. Jesus Christ is worth that. Jesus Christ is worth me getting up, putting on this stupid tie, going up all the way to my neck like I'm about to choke myself, putting on some good clothes, taking a shower, shaving so I won't look like a monster, and coming up to church. Jesus Christ is worthy of that. Jesus Christ, is, Jesus Christ is worth me spending four or five hours on a Saturday on my day off studying him, trying to find something to preach, getting it together, driving 45 minutes up here, preaching. Jesus Christ is worth every second of that. Amen. Jesus Christ is worth getting up in the morning and reading his words. Amen. Jesus Christ is worth anything and everything I give him. He's worthy. And when I look at other religions and I look at other religious leaders, I'm thinking, what are they worth? Why would I want to give them my time? Why would I want to give them nothing? They haven't done nothing for me. This one right here named Jesus Christ, he's doing something. Seven times worthy. That's what you got seven things I just read to you. In verse 12, seven times. Jesus Christ is seven times worthy of everything you do for him. Power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, blessing. Verse 13, And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, every creature and such as are in the sea, every fish and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know what that just said? All those little animals and dogs and cats that y'all love more than your own children, if that dog could talk to you, he'd say, Jesus Christ is worthy. Amen. I would love that. Amen. I'd love to see some atheist sitting there and have some dog that God's created, some dog God's created, and he loves that dog so much, you know, God's creation, and that dog just come up there and get up in his lap and get up in his face, and that dog just look at him and say, Jesus Christ is worthy. Oh, uh, you're so stupid, Pastor. I know I'm stupid, but you know what? Jesus Christ made the donkey to talk. God made the donkey talk. Why couldn't he make a dog talk? And then he'd take that dog, and he'd run in the other room. We, could, we made a million dollars. He'd tell his wife, we made a, this dog can talk. We're going, we're going to be millionaires. And the dog would never say another word. <laughs> We'd like that old cartoon with the frog. Get on, my darling. Hello, my baby. Remember that cartoon? And the guy would take that frog, and the frog would ribbit, ribbit, not say nothing. That's what we want God to do. Wake him up. It says right there that every creature could say it. Well, that's what it says. You believe it or you not believe in your Bible. I believe my Bible. And every creature. 
Some old fisherman out there fishing. Ooh, it says in the sea right there. Pull up some fish. He pulls up some fish. He's like, look at the size of this fish. That fish says, Jesus Christ is worthy. <laughs> Every creature. Except an American. American is the only creature in the world that doesn't know how to say Jesus Christ is worthy. Amen. I preached on this last Sunday. We've forgotten God. We've changed God. Who cares about God? Not a single person. It's hard to find them. My wife, me and my wife were coming to church this morning. We were heading to church, and all these people, boom, boom, passing us. And I told my wife, I said, you know, no, you, know you can tell they're not going to church. I'm like, nobody cares about church anymore. Nobody tell, cares about God anymore. Nobody cares about Jesus Christ. Right here. Verse 14, And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Chapter 6, verse 1, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. He that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. The seven seals. There's the beginning. That's a tribulation period. Amen. That's the Antichrist rising. Crown given to him. Powers given to him. The orchestra is starting to tune up. Amen. The curtain is starting to rise. The seven sealed book is starting to get opened. I'm telling you, this is the end. God's getting ready. He's tuning it up. Jesus Christ has come out. He's manifested out as Jesus Christ again. He comes up. He takes a book. And here we go. He warned us 2,000 years we've had the warning. It's happening before our very eyes. Are you ready? If Jesus Christ was to come back tonight, are you ready? Well, if he was to come back before this service is over, are you ready? You can be ready. Just take Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's all it takes. Know you're a sinner. Believe he died. He walked on the earth and died. You've got to believe when you're praying, you're praying to Jesus Christ who's alive. Not a philosophy, not an idea, not a, just a way of doing things, not a sacrament. You're praying to a living Savior that can hear what you're saying. Say, Jesus Christ, I believe in you as my Savior. I know you're a Savior. I know I'm a sinner. Would you please save me? He'll save you every time. Amen. It don't care what condition you're in, what sin you have. It doesn't matter. That, that's, easy. that's what he's into. See that precious blood? It'll cover you from all, A-L-L, all sins. No matter what it is. But are you ready? You can see where I'm closing right there? It's just beginning. All the bad stuff starts taking place. You don't want to be on the other end of that. You want to be up there singing, Worthy, worthy, worthy. Amen. Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. Amen. Holy, holy, holy. Amen. My Jesus Christ, and I'm preaching to you this morning. If you don't know him, I'm here to tell you. 20-something years of being a Christian, 20-something years of following this man, I can tell you without any kind of doubt, without blinking my eye, Jesus Christ is worthy. Amen. 
He's worthy. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world, but... Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it and if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you, and until next time. Casting all your care upon him.